Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. lovely sip of water I just had. Very refreshing. Look at you with your reusable bottle and me with my oh, ruining no, so the I've planet got a real plastic. Issue, so I need to drink more water. Yeah, but see, I, then I, I, I'm very toilet aware and I, I, I will only drink lots of water if I know I'm gonna, I've got a toilet nearby. Want to know my childhood? Yes. My dad picks the fruit that goes to cuddies. Next to make the cordial that, that I, I like, like best. I drank cordial my whole childhood. Favorite flavor? Orange. Oh well, orange yes, and the what? fruit cup one. I wasn't allowed to have red because red made you crazy. Oh red. So I loved red orange lemonade cordial. Was like the I grew up on treat. cordial my whole life, and I think how irresponsible of my parents to let me drink mm. so much cordial. But I always drank cordial, and now I reckon that's why I hate drinking water. I don't like cold water. I like it to be room, yeah, room temperature, temperature or slightly lukewarm. I have a soda stream, though. That's changed my life. And try putting like just a teeny dash of cordial. So there's like just a... A light flavouring. Almost not even flavour. It's just something that makes it not water. And that's the best. Do you know when I moved out of home, nothing to do with dead bodies, but you know, you move out of home, you feel like an adult, you can do whatever you want. You can eat dessert yes. for breakfast. You can do I made you chocolate want. cake better and just ate See? tons of it yeah. before I cooked well, it. Well, I had two jugs of cordial in my fridge, one green, one orange. Oh, do you like it cold? Yeah. Oh, green cordial, I'm, GI lime. I make jugs, yes. not make as I go in a cup, jug in the fridge. Yeah, but it's too cold. I make homemade cordial. I make lemon cordial. Do you still drink cordial or is it too much sugar for you? Nah, it's too much sugar. I don't it's drink got it anymore. Ton- it's, it's like so solid sugar. I can't believe I used that. I, seriously, what are my parents doing? I know. Because, well, I make lemon cordial. It's got, you use a two kilo bag of sugar <gasps> to six so lemons. Bad. So bad. And seven cups of boiling water. Oh, my goodness. And there's other things in there, Epsom salts and citric acid and tartaric acid. Sounds like you're getting rid of a baldy. Uh, a what? A baldy. What's that? A body. Oh, about it. <laughs> a what? Melting it. A what? A what? A what? I don't know. You go first. Okay, so um, this is a story that I covered in court, which I've started doing lately. Covering stories in court, no, doing ones, doing stories that I have covered. Have you seen in court. my feet, by the way, today? Well, was, what do you mean? This is feet. the worst. If I if my daughter saw my feet, she would Why? go, "What are those?" Because I've got socks on with flowers on them. Yeah. But I, and and runners, that's a really bad look. She hates it if I wear runners Nico hates that with, too. Like, he likes jeans. no-show socks. He gets mad if he yes. can see my socks. But then my little ankies get cold sometimes. That's what I, I had, yeah. cold ankles. Oh, it's the it's worst. It's such a mom outfit. It oh, really it's the is. worst having cold ankles. Oh, it's mom. horrible. Yep. I thought I knew you two girls wouldn't oh, I wear sto- I'm wearing stockings now, but I wear stockings really well after they shouldn't be worn throughout is the year. F- because of the colour of your flesh? Because like I like to feel like I'm warm. Oh yes, okay. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Don't Who you would have thought? Stockings make me a bit hot around the VJ area. Well, actually, I have a wonderful colleague, Nick McCallum. Yes. Uh, who, for those who don't know Nick McCallum, and I don't want to say that he's like 
super old or anything. No, he's he, not. He's about my age. So careful, girl. That's what I mean. Like, but <laughs> he's, he's a grown up. He's a grown up. He's yes. very much a grown up. And I feel like he's almost like sometimes I feel he's quite fatherly to me at court, uh, at work. And I was, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and he sits opposite me. Yes. And he was talking to me. Uh, Chanel's to, standing up today. Now. He was talking to me. And as he was talking to me, I was doing this. Hoiking up your and stockings. I was pulling my, and I said, sorry, I'm pulling up my stockings. They're going down and they're giving me that weird crutch thing. And he just shook his head like, <laughs> okay. And I thought I was going to go to the bathroom to do it. And I thought, whatever, it's just Nick McCallum. Yeah, he won't So mind. I just started hitching him up. But then that's the downfall of wearing stockings. Yeah. Is they slip down? Yes, they do. They slip down. They give you a weird crutch. Crutch anyway. is never right, but I feel like. Maybe anyway. Well, anyway, we go. digress. We do digress. Um, who was that listener that hated us doing that? Lots. Terry? No, that one, no. that that female. Do you remember Kirst? What was her name? Uh, look, everyone's cross with us for not just doing what we're supposed we to be doing. We should dedicate that to about. her every time, and that's dedicated to the hater. Okay, so this story is about a lover's lane. Oh. Mm. Story I covered in court, uh, which I felt a little bit, uh, I felt very protective of these victims, I will say, in court. I felt protective of them. Um this crime or these crimes, series of crimes, have been called uh, some of the most traumatising in Victorian history. They all took place in Roeville, uh, which uh, it was back in the 80s, though. They all took place in Roeville in this lover's lane where couples would go parking. I feel like in the 80s, Roeville was was very much an outer suburb. Absolutely. It was probably, there was probably a it lot of bushland. still is, land but yeah, yeah it, it, absolutely. There's yeah. nothing out there, paddocks, yeah. nothing else. There was a... Uh, a few new estates yeah. popping up here and there. There was a, um, a drive-in, mm. uh, which I'll mention later. But I want to take you to the 22nd of March, 1980, and it's 11pm. A 19-year-old man and his 21-year-old girlfriend had been to that drive-in, and then after this drive-in, they went to Lover's Lane to do some... Parking. Is that mm-hmm. what they used to call it? Yeah. Parking? Yeah. It's romantic. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, so they uh, became intimate with each other mm-hmm. and as they were doing so, a man, a stranger, approached their vehicle. <gasps> he no. had a stocking over his head. No. Yeah. And no. he opened the front door. The couple were naked at that point underneath a blanket. Uh, the man told the couple to get out, saying he wanted their car. Didi. Can I? Yeah. Um, see, I let my kids have their friends over. And oh, I, I think I'd, I'd be the same. I pretend I don't know. Do you? Yes. What? Well, not. I won't go into any specifics, but <gasps> but I'm very happy for them to have friends for a sleepover. Are you? Because of this. Like, we had to sneak around and, and sneak and, and go in lover's lane and get killed by people with stockings over their head. I don't even know if they're going to die, but I'm assuming they are. It's much better that they're safe. In a house with mum and dad I never did anything with Nicholas while his parents were in the house ever. I had to be very careful. No, I don't. It was like my one, I I just couldn't. I never stayed the night at his house ever. I never never stayed the night. No, I know, I know. But 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 they have friends over. I'm just trying to prove I'm a prim and proper lady despite the awful mouth I have on me. I just couldn't do anything. No, I could not stay the night. I could not stay the night at his house when his parents were there. I just felt really disrespectful. I would never stay. That's so cute. Yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> I felt awful. Anyway, moving on. 
Um, man approaches the car with a stocking over his head. The couple were naked under a blanket. He told them he wanted uh, the car and to get out. They both got out of the car and they got dressed. The man told them to hurry up and he again said, all I want is the car. At that point, he told the woman to tie the man's hands behind his back using hay baling and twine that he gave her. Mm -hmm. He instructed her to make it tighter, make it tighter. That's Mm -hmm. what he kept saying. And then he tightened those bonds even further. He then tied the woman's hands together and he walked them both uh, towards a nearby tree. Once, oh, I should disclaimer this, and Mm. I'm going to do it here because I know there are some really young listeners. Mm -hmm. I just, now I'm always thinking about that 15 year old that wrote into us. I Mm -hmm. think about it. Mm. Um, That this is, it's quite brutal. And I've skipped a lot of detail, but I think it's just quite brutal. And I think it's important that if you're listening with your child or you should take note of that. Maybe here. listen to it first and see whether you're happy for them yeah, to hear it Yeah, I think too. so. Yeah. So he walks them to a nearby tree. Once there, he pushed the woman to the ground and he forced her to... Diddy. Diddy. 15-year-olds are Googling stuff that's so much worse than you're oh, talking about right here anyway. But I yes, no, that's very good of you to I get, get that warning. Yeah. Uh, once there, he pushed the woman to the ground and he forced her to perform sex acts on him with a gun held to her head. When he'd had enough of that, uh, he raped her and uh, he did so again with the gun pointed at her head and all the while her boyfriend was watching. This is so upsetting. Isn't it? That's what I mean. It's because really I upsetting. Because I remember being that you know, being that yeah, age and absolutely. sneaking off and sitting in the car and yeah. kissing and all that stuff that you get up to and to go from that and being happy absolutely, with someone that you really yep. like mm-hmm. to this horror. He then got in the car and drove away. The couple were forced to flag down a passing car. Oh, so um, he didn't kill them? No, he didn't kill them. Oh. To get oh, help. I he was going to kill them. And they were taken to a police station. Now I want to go to the night of uh, the 12th of April. Now we're in 1983. So mm-hmm. 1980, we've gone to 1983. This time a 20-year-old man had picked up his girlfriend, who was then 18 years old, uh, from her home, and they drove to the lover's lane in mm-hmm. his panel van. After arriving, they turned off the lights of the car and they began to be intimate with each other. Um They'd known each other for about six weeks, so it was quite new and, mm, you know, it's kind of what you were talking yeah. about. Exactly right. Um, and for the teenage girl, this was her first sexual experience. Mm. So I'm not saying that they were um, actually having sex, but she was quite young and she was very innocent yeah. and, you know, hadn't really done anything with a boy as such. Um, after about 20 minutes, the front door of the vehicle was opened by an unknown man who pointed a sawn-off double-barrel shotgun at them. He was wearing a mask or possibly a balaclava and he told the two of them to get out. He told the man to lie down and put his face on the ground and said he wouldn't hurt them. He pointed the shotgun at that man's face so close that he could smell the gunpowder. Oh. Wow. He took some rope from a bag and tied the man's feet. He then used, uh, they call it sticky bandage, to tie his wrist. So I don't know if that's like, you know, like uh, that nude colour, sticky bandage. Uh, He then told the young woman to get out of the car and he tied her up tightly um, and he told them to get into the back of the van. He raped that young woman Mm. 
and I, I've literally written here, I just can't go into any more detail of that rape, mm. um, but it was horrifying and degrading and she'd never been intimate with anyone. Oh, God. In her life, God. and that was her first sexual she experience. Would have been so confused. After that, he simply said bye bye mm. and left. Just a month after that, he struck again. This is the twenty uh, third of May, nineteen eighty three. On this night, a 37-year-old man, Rodney Mitchell, was with his 26-year-old girlfriend. They arrived in separate cars. However, they got into the same car and became intimate. Mm -hmm. As the woman was redressing, she thought she saw movement behind the car. It was again this mm -hmm. man who approached and he was he was armed. He placed the double-barrel shotgun uh, through the driver's side window mm. and said, don't move or I'll shoot, get out. He was wearing a balaclava. Um, the man was still naked at this point but got out of the vehicle and lunged at the man with the gun. Wow. They struggled with each other and as uh, he's tried to get the gun off him, the gun goes off twice. Uh, quick, quick, who gets shot? Mr. Mitchell received the full blast of one shot just beneath his left armpit and mm. sustained minor palate wounds to his right eye and right ear from the second. He died almost instantly. Oh, no. After this, the man drove off with the car and the young woman was still inside. Oh. She leaped from the vehicle and sustained really significant injuries, multiple abrasions in her escape. Yeah. She was picked up by a car... Um, she'd seen approaching and yeah. she was taken to the Dandenong Hospital for treatment and she reported the events to police. So all of the crimes were reported almost instantly. There was no one that didn't, you know, that was ashamed, or, which can sometimes yeah. happen, yeah. Um, especially in, in rape cases. However, they remained unsolved for about 35 years. <gasps> wow. James Dobby was arrested on the 22nd of June 2018 following a cold case investigation uh, by Victoria Police and an anonymous report made to Crime Stoppers. Oh. Um, after that report, police contacted several members of James Dobby's family regarding his suspected involvement. And as I said, on June 22nd, he was arrested, but he was actually arrested because he attended... Um, Cobram Police Station in New South Wales mm -hmm. and he was interviewed. He was extremely cooperative throughout that interview. He answered questions in a very detailed way and stated, however, that his memory wasn't exact. Mm -hmm. It's 35 years and I guess I've, I've found this quite often mm. that while victims obviously remember every single detail, yeah. the the criminals often don't. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually find that quite prevalent with um, pedophile priests. Yes. That the victims always recall it, but because there's been so much offending by mm. the criminal, they don't recall all the mm. details. And the victims obviously mean nothing to them. Correct. Mm. Yep. So Dobby told police, I just had enough and I just want to get it all out now. He told them um, he confessed to the murder of Rodney Mitchell and he'd confessed first to it to his daughter. What? Dobby told them he'd confessed to the murder of Rodney Mitchell to his daughter and asked her to bring him to the police station. Gosh. Imagine that. I guess you're going to get to it, but did, did he just do these this little bunch of crimes and then stop committing crimes? Well, there was that big gap, 1980 and then nothing until 1983, which is... 
Yeah, but then Odd. what about the 30 years until he got nothing. arrested? They don't think anything or nothing that he's been... That's weird. Yeah. What would have made it stop? Ultimately, he admitted the matters... Uh, that led him to being charged with nine charges. However, he denied some of the sexual allegations, but he did later plead guilty to them. He told police he never intended to shoot anyone and that if events had not eventuated as they did, it would have been another rape. I would have raped her. Hmm. Talking about that other female. Yeah. Um, He told them he disposed of the shotgun by throwing it into a river or a canal on his way to Queensland after the offending. Mm -hmm. He went on to tell police he just went stupid on mushrooms and marijuana. Uh, He said he was in a very bad place and didn't consider himself to be part of the human race. He told uh, officers that his sexual offending was motivated by domination and humiliation uh, but further said, there's no excuse. I'm not even going to try and make one. I don't believe that he stopped after the, this spate. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Mm. Um, there were victim impact statements because all of the victims, obviously not Rodney Mitchell, yeah. are still alive. Um, they're, they're given, uh, I'm not using their real names. Yeah. So one victim said, uh, your actions resulted in an ongoing nightmare for nearly 40 years. Uh, She explained the horror of knowing that the man who is now her husband witnessed the offending. Yeah. So she married Mm. that man who went through that. It would be so hard to ever have a healthy sexual relationship after that because every time you... Can you imagine? Went back to that yep. place or, in, you yep. know, that, that way you were yeah. together. Yep, absolutely. She back. said she felt vulnerable not knowing where you were and extremely fearful of being home alone. Gosh. She described the hurt of reliving the events when explaining them to her children and the harm his offending had caused her relationship with them and with her husband. Mm. She described struggling with trust and intimacy throughout her life, having trouble sleeping and being terrified of the night. She expressed hope that she may regain her sense of safety and freedom after he went to court. Mm. Um, Another female victim described how the offending changed her life forever. She spoke of being a naive 18-year-old with little experience and how her evening turned into absolute terror. She described thinking she would die and feeling helpless and not being able to help her then boyfriend. Mm. Um, she described the events as violent and humiliating. Um, she went on saying that the years after for her were long and lonely and she still lives with the daily reminders of his offending. Mm. She still faces many challenges. She described her happiness, um, though, at being alive and her gratitude of being able to it's take... Interesting, isn't is, it? Yeah, mm. she was just, you know, she was happy to be alive knowing that Rodney Mitchell had died. So the wife of Rodney Mitchell described the immense shock when police arrived at her house... So Rodney Mitchell had a wife, mm. even though he was... Okay. Yep. Do you know what? I figured that straight away. I know, the age difference. Because they arrived in separate cars. Yeah, I see it all the time cars. at the park where I walk oh, my dog. Oh, I know. You see You've said cars. that before. Yeah, you see nothing and then two cars pull up next to each other and you think, uh-huh. So the wife... I never look. I always look away. No, I always oh, look away. The on. wife described the immense shock when police arrived at her house and told her that her husband had been killed. Oh. She described how, wor- how her world turned upside down mm. as her young children were suddenly left without a father and the heart-wrenching task of having to inform her husband's parents. And and I wonder if she knew he was having an affair. She felt she could
could not explain the real circumstances to her children and told them their father had died in a car accident. This was the hardest thing she's ever had to do. She went on to describe the immense financial difficulties she had. This is the 80s where, Mm. you know women were staying at home she was suddenly forced to find employment she described her sadness that her children have been without their father for most of their lives but commends how they have handled their heartache Mm. um his daughter also uh spoke to the court she was 10 years old uh at the time of her dad's death she said she watched her mother become a shadow of her former self changing from a fun mum to a person she describes as frail distant and broken she described the pain of hearing evolving rumors and speculation about her family and how she felt overwhelmed and paranoid she described her shock upon learning the true circumstances of her father's death as a 13 or 14 year old okay yeah, the son, uh, he was 13 year old, thirteen at the time of her father's, why can't I talk? His father's. His son, who was 13 at the time of his father's death, mm-hmm. also described in just, he, he was in denial, mm. um, waiting at the bottom of the driveway for his father to come home and he never, oh. ever came home. No. Yeah, it's just awful. And this is one of those ones where the, the, the repercussions are so far yeah. reaching. Um Dobby was sentenced. I was there for his sentencing. He received 35 years with a minimum of 25 years uh, for all the rapes and the murder of Mr. Mitchell. I'm going to go back to the start and just say about I felt extremely protective of those victims in court. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, they they were all in court, some of them with their children, Mm. um, one of whom I spoke to and I – I don't know if I, I can say this, but I think I will, who I did catch up with mm. after. And I won't go into anything that we said but because um, she never, ever wanted that put on the record. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's important to know that she's moved on with her life in every sense of mm. the word and she's happy and she's had a great life. But mm. um, there are sometimes people that come to court who aren't experienced court reporters as such and you know, you've got victims sitting in court who have been through this awful thing and, you know, they've had to explain it when they went to the police station and they've had to explain it to their families and Mm. then explain it to their partners, their children. And I feel like victims go through this continual stage of having to explain what happened to them over and over again. They've got to do it in court. And it's just this reoccurring nightmare for them. So there were some journos that were in court that weren't very experienced and I was very aware of the fact that these victims were going to walk out Mm. to a herd of television cameras Mm. and I didn't want them chased down the street and I didn't want them hounded. And I remember I I approached the entire group and I said, this is exactly how I said it, Mm. do you guys want to say anything about what happened? Because if you don't, that's totally fine and I'll just get everyone to fuck off. (laughs) Yes, that's my girl. And that's how I said it to them. That's exactly how I said it to them. I said, you know, if you don't want to say anything, and because some people, I said this before, they do want the opportunity to say something. They do want to take back the power and say things um, to the news. Uh, And they said, they kind of looked at me funny and they said, no, we don't want to say anything. And I said, no worries. I'll just make everyone fuck off. And so do you then speak to your other journalists? So then I went back out and said, they're not going to say anything. They don't want to be filmed. Don't do anything. And people go, oh, okay. And everyone left them alone. Yeah, good. And, um, yeah, I think I just kind of felt like I was happy that I could help them in that way. Yeah, good on you. That they weren't hounded and that 
I didn't want I didn't want court to be scary for them because I didn't want them to not come and have their moment because of us. Yes. Like yeah. I don't and I, I guess people definitely feel that way sometimes. They might say, Oh, there's gonna be heaps of media there and blah blah blah, but they're victims and I didn't want them to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, yes, to have all those cameras and everything shoved yeah. in your face, it would be so Yeah, daunting. it'd be really hard. Mm. That's it. Mm. Lover's Lane. I know. I used to go parking with my... Did you? Yes. Where'd you go? Um, can't talk about it. My <laughs> daughter's friend listens to this. Hello, Megan. Well, you've just... Well, okay, I won't speak about your children, what you said earlier, but anyway. <laughs> no, well, that's why as soon as I said it, I thought I'd be in trouble. But no, How it's... far are your kids' bedrooms from your bedroom? In the same corridor. I don't know what's going on in there and I don't care. I don't care. But And I don't care who do sleeps ever, over, but I'm just... Do you ever go and listen to see... Do you put your hair up? Because I think I would no, do that as a mum. I don't. I no, would. I do the do opposite. You? No, I'll do everything. And if I'm going into, if I'm coming into that era, ah, 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 I'll be folding the washing, oh, walking down the hallway, walking down the hallway, closing the door, making noise, ugg boots, ugg boots, ugg boots on the okay. floor. Yep. Make because a lot again, of noise. you live in an old house, so I reckon you'd be able yeah. to hear everything. Creak, creak on the stairs. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. Bailey came up to bed at five o'clock in the morning the other day and we heard every footstep because he's a giant boy. Footstep, creak, creak, creak. Yeah, Why does he just sleep on the couch downstairs? Because he was coming to bed at five o'clock. I don't okay. know. I he's don't I never understand them. All right, I love you them go. dearly. Uh, we had a message from Diane. It said, nice things, nice things. Your story about the Cantrell funeral home, remember that one they found them? All the bodies up in the ceiling, yes. the babies, uh, reminded me of the tri-state crematory story that happened in the early two thousands. Hello, that's just piqued my interest. Early two thousands is recent. Yeah. So Diane says, I've only seen bodies at open casket funerals. When we were going to my grandmother, uh, grandfather's funeral, one of the morticians asked my dad, "Doesn't your dad look great?" And my dad answered, "He looks dead." Oh. My dad is a very non-fictional guy. Thanks Clearly. For the, thanks for the great podcast, Diane, which is my real name, that no one calls me unless I'm in trouble. Never call you that. So the Tri-State Crematory was started by Tommy Marsh in the mid-1970s in the Noble community, which is north of Lafayette in Georgia in the US. And it did – so this is a, a crematorium. It did the cremations for a number of funeral homes, in fact, as many as 30 funeral homes in mm. Georgia, Alabama and Tennessee. Um up until that time, it had been very hard for people in some of those communities to get a cremation. So the bodies were sent to the tri-state crematory. Marsh, who ran it, was a respected businessman. Uh, in fact, he even once run, ran for coroner of Walker County and he lost by just a few votes. He ran a tent rental company and he did a bit of construction as well. So he's having a go at everything wow. there. Wow, a and tent cre- rental company. Yeah, I'm burning bodies, I'm building businesses and I'm renting out. Tents. I'm putting up tents. And I'm standing for a coroner. That's a different system in America. Sure. Um, his health went downhill in the 1990s. In 1996, his son, Ray Brent Marsh, took over the business and old Tommy Marsh died. Brent Marsh was a community leader, a member of the Chamber of Commerce and a committee member of the local county Department of Children and Family Services. So six years later... Mm-hmm after he's taken over running the crematory, in early 2002, the US Environmental Protection Agency got a tip that something wasn't right at the crematory. Mm -hmm. So officers investigated. Chanel. 
Yes, Janelle. It always comes from a tip. It does, doesn't it? Yes. yes. Uh, they found a human skull and Not some if you're bones. 70 or 79, though. I'm never letting those guys go. They're no, going to continue through episodes yeah. for me. I'm not over it. <laughs> there were other signs that some something wasn't right at this crematorium. A propane delivery truck driver had complained twice to the Walker County Sheriff about seeing bodies on the property. What? Which you shouldn't be seeing them. Complained about them. Yes. Look, I've dropped a load of stuff. The dang up there. bodies are back. Dang bodies are all over the dang place. You gotta do something about it. Get down there and take a look. How good is it saying dang? <laughs> Hot dang. Uh, so one time a deputy sheriff visited to check on things and apparently found nothing unusual. On February the fifteenth, two thousand and two, investigators returned to the property and they found Piles of rotting human bodies in a storage shed and in vaults and scattered throughout the property. Here we are going to hear from the sheriff. As we were uncovering uh, and opening a sealed concrete vault, uh, we discovered uh, one concrete vault uh, stuffed or packed with more human remains. So he sounds exactly. Uh, yes, that's Chanel. exactly how it sounded. He sounds exactly like we said he did. Yeah, yeah. Dang, what's going on here? <laughs> Come check me out some funeral home. We discovered the yes. directors of another funeral home nearby had tipped off the media that the cops were at the Marsh funeral home yes. and Atlanta television station. W-A-G-E, Fox 5, and reporter Dan Ronan broke the story. Good on you, Dan. In his cross, he did a cross back to CNN, and he said that police found bodies and caskets as far back as 10 years ago. What? That's how long the stuff had been stacking up, the bodies had been stacking up. Witnesses told him, because he was there reporting on it for a while, that there were old caskets that had clearly been out in the weather for years because they were falling apart. Hundreds of bodies filled several rooms on the 16-acre complex. Others were in shallow graves. We're going to hear now from the medical examiner. And we have, I know we have found uh, some mummified bodies that I would easily say are between 10 and 20 years old as far as having been buried and then uh, you know, taking that long to get to this particular point. So there were skeletal remains that they could see on the surface. Other ones were all piled up. Most of them were adults, but there were some babies as no. well. Have a listen to this. We have found one definite set of infant remains, though. And there are also some other areas that we are ex examining right now that appear to have uh, at least one small casket that would be an infant, infant type that has fallen apart. That's it sounds, the, oh, yeah. just the accent. That's the medical examiner again. I'm glad he said he was examining something because that's what you expect a medical examiner to do. <laughs> so what do they do? They set up a portable morgue and a federal disaster team came in to start identifying the remains. It was very difficult because a lot of the corpses were in advanced stages of decomposition. I told you I met that guy in Bali. This was his job. What? When I went to Bali on my own, I was talking to a lot of random people. Yes. <laughs> I was. Yes. And I met a man at a cafe and we started talking. Nothing sinister. I was with Nico then. Yeah. And his job was to fly around the world and uh, like literally triage mass graves or any type oh. of mass body situation. I must chase up those people again. We were going to talk to them. 
And they were very nice and then it got called off. Who are they? The people, Why aren't you acknowledging the what I'm that, telling you? Oh, Why are you talking that's about That's great, Because I'm looking at Chanel because we were going to speak <laughs> to those the people actual, that do the disaster I just told you this fabulous thing and you're <laughs> Well, this relates to what you just said. to-do list. No, we had this fantastic people who do disaster recovery. And we're all set to talk to them and then something went wrong. I can't remember and, and I forgot about it. I must chase them up again. I've forgotten who they are, but they mm. were great. And they do what you just said that man in Bali did. You were having a random coffee with. Good. I uh, wasn't having a random coffee with him. He was sitting at the same uh, share table as It sounded as, as dodgy me. as fuck, Chanel. No, Chanel, it wasn't. So I don't know what he was, was going sitting on. at the same. Does Nico know? I don't think he does. Yeah, I told him. Of course, yeah. I, it was one of those times where I rang him immediately and said, you'll never guess mm-hmm. what's just happened. And he said, What? And I'll have to go and tell Nico. I'm sorry, Nico. Chanel was having coffee with someone else, and this is what's happened. Chanel. Yes. Totally random story. Yes. I told Nicholas that I want to be an AFL mascot. Like yes. I told you. Yes. yes. Yes, I know you do. Yes. And he said to me, "Why can't you just be normal?" This when I rang him about the man I met. That was another time where he yeah. said, "Why can't you just be normal?" I don't think being a mascot would be much fun because it would be very stinky in the costumes. So no, a friend I still of mine, want to do it. we were at the basketball, and there's a really good mascot. There was back at this with the Tiger Man, and there was a head and a body. And a mate of mine went to the toilet yeah. and looked down at the cubicle, and there, staring <laughs> up at him from the ground, was the Tiger Head. Tiger Man was taking a. Anyway, let's move on. Between 1996, he was going toilet in the. I know. Between 1996, and the tiger takes it in the woods. <laughs> Between 1996 and the day of the raid, more than 2,000 bodies. What? No, hang on. That's how many had been sent to the tri-state funeral home because it was doing the cremations. For all these other funeral homes. So oh, right. All these other, That's uh, the official tally. Homes. Yes. So 2,000 bodies had been sent because they had to try okay. and track down who all these were. They recovered, uh, as part of this cleanup, 339 uncremated bodies. That's still a lot. Only 226 of them were identified. So a lot of them weren't. So it turns out that Ray Brett Marsh had issues in doing cremations. You reckon? I reckon. Yeah, I'll tell you the first issue. Yes. He wasn't cremating them. That's right. Well, he was a few short. That's the first issue. Nobody knows quite why. Instead of uh, giving ashes to the families of the dead, he was giving them concrete dust. He said that the cremation oven was broken, but they tested it and they found that it was fine. The cremation oven's on the blink again. It's not working. I don't know what's wrong. It's on the blink. Dang. We, we take ourselves a look, see at that thing, and we can't, dang, we can't find what's work. We're not wrong. They did some tests later and they found that there were some faults. So maybe there was something in that. Uh, other crematory operators at the time said that proper maintenance would have kept the incinerator working. So I think the implication was right. they weren't looking after the joint. Ray Brent Marsh was arrested on over 300 criminal violations. He was charged with 787 counts, wow. including theft by deception abusing a corpse, burial service-related fraud and giving false statements. So it sounds like he got like two two charges for each body yeah. and then extra ones on top. Yeah. Uh, the criminal cases against him were settled after the defence argued whether a human corpse had any pecuniary value 
for those of us who don't look up big words, that means do they have any monetary value? And they don't, as no, we've talked about. No, they don't belong to anyone either. Um, so they couldn't determine whether the thefts could even be criminally prosecuted because, as we know, the corpse doesn't have a do- dollar value. No one owns it. Correct. So he eventually pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to 12 years in wow, prison. Wow, hefty. With credit for the time he'd already spent in custody, so he was released in 2016. Almost 1,700 members of the families of the identified corpses sued Tri-State and the funeral homes that had sent the bodies there to be cremated. Yep. Uh, Their class action suits took place in two different states. There were two trials. Neither got very far before settlements were reached. Mm. The funeral homes then sued Tri-State and Marsh himself and they eventually settled at first for $36 million. Million or billion? Million. Yep. The Marsh defendants also settled for $3.5 million after their insurer agreed to pay the settlement. It gets a bit complex. And the legal arguing went on for years and years and years. It gets very complex, and I'll spare you all the details. But a second trial began in August of 2004, and that one ended with the families agreeing to an uncollectible judgment against the Marsh family for $80 million. Wow. That was eventually scrapped and $18 million went to the plaintiff's class members. And there are still, I believe, some claims against the home in Tennessee. So Mm. in in one of the claims that's still going, they are calling on Brent Marsh to testify and tell family members what happened to their loved one's bodies and explain why? why he did it. It's this thing we come back to all the time. People just want, I hate the word closure, but they, they, they just do. want a They fin- want an explanation. Yeah. It's so helpful for their closure. Yeah. And there is, I know why you hate the word closure, because there's no It's closure. just so Oprah, and I didn't like Oprah, and everyone did. I'm sorry for people that like what? her, but I don't like her. What? I don't like Oprah. I didn't like her. I didn't get all the rah-rah when she came here. And, and I know everyone loves Oprah, yeah, but and she was no, always having closure. And there's no closure from crimes. No. People don't find closure. Let me see. Walker County, Georgia, has also sued the Marsh family for $2 million to cover the cost of the investigation. That claim was dismissed. And Mm -hmm. then Walker County, Americans love a lawsuit, don't they? Yeah, they sue everyone. They sued for the cost of cleaning up an environmental hazard, but that was also dismissed. And some people who are not next of kin have also made claims, but they too have been dismissed. Okay. Uh, So if you weren't married to the person, or I suppose if you de facto you are, but, you know, cousins, uncles, aunts. Could be children uh, though. Under Tennessee law, only the next of kin can maintain. Yeah, so it could claim. be their kids. Yeah. So therefore, if a deceased is survived by a spouse, the spouse has a claim, and no other family member. So mothers, oh. fathers, yeah, only the spouse. Probably to just limit it. Otherwise, they'll just get infiltrated with. So many yeah. lawsuits. Um, so we're left with this question. Why did Brent Marsh dump hundreds of bodies and let others just rot all around him? It's still not clear. It would have been easier to just cremate them. Is he mentally unwell? I don't believe so, no. The right. medical examiner himself was mystified. There is no logical explanation for having vaults filled with human remains and for having caskets dumped you know, in the dirt and decaying and falling apart with more piled on top and more piled on top. Uh, So Marsh made a statement to the court. He didn't actually speak, but it was a written statement. It said, to those of you who've come here today looking for answers, I cannot give you. Uh, By 2005, all the buildings on the property were pulled down 
and the property itself, the land remains as a memorial to those whose remains were mistreated, as well as the 12 years that Brent Marsh served in, in jail. He got 75 years of probation in Georgia. Um, in 2007, and this may be just a little point of explanation maybe his Brent Marsh's attorneys revealed that he had mercury poisoning and I've heard of this happening before is that when you eat too much tuna what <laughs> I swear Jeremy Piven said I I had an he got mercury poisoning from eating too much tuna. There was another case where a man had been stealing the teeth from corpses what? and melting them down and getting the mercury, but in doing so got mercury poisoning. So um, cremating bodies with mercury dental fillings, he got mercury poisoning, which can send you nuts. Now, what was that podcast? You put me onto it. The guy who calls the reporter to come to town to investigate a murder and he made clocks and it turned out he had mercury. Oh, come on, what's that podcast called? Damn it. Someone will know. I can't someone, remember. someone, someone, someone. I'll find it in a second. I'm Googling Jeremy Piven. Didn't you put me onto it? It came up after Serial. It was one of the first ones. Star, star stricken by toxins from sushi. Yeah, there probably is mercury in them. The ventilation system at the home was faulty, so Marsh and his father as well, because remember his father died reasonably young. They had both got toxic levels of mercury. If you want to read more, there's a book called A Long Day at the End of the World, A Story of Desecration and Revelation in the Deep South. I feel like that needs a good edit, that title, to something a bit punchier. Agreed. But that particular book... Uh, a guy by the name of Brent Hendricks tries to find whether his father's remains were among those that were found at the Tri-State Crematory. What was the name of the S-Town? S-Town! Yes. yes. He had mercury poisoning because he'd yes. been dealing with it, and I'm not sure what for, something to do with the clocks. Uh, uh, he was he was redoing the d- clocks. He was treating he? coins or something. Yeah, he was yeah. dipping them in yeah. mercury. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. he got mercury poisoning. Hmm. On the feedback? Right. Jess. Hi, guys. I'm a new listener to your podcast and I am absolutely obsessed. I secretly listen to it at work with my hair down and my ear pods in. No one has noticed. The first time I saw a dead body, I was about six. Being this age, I hadn't really understood the concept of death. I'm from a Cambodian background and after someone passes away, prayers are done for seven days with Buddhist monks at the person's home. The body is nowhere near the house. Hmm. What does that mean? At the person's home, the body is nowhere near the house, so in the garden. Must be. Uh, after the prayers, there is a viewing, then the cremation or burial. In the year 2000, uh, I remember being at the cemetery and going into this large room. My parents let me walk around with my brothers and cousins as we were all roughly the same age. I noticed everyone was looking in a wooden box. Oh, no. And I remember thinking this must be something really cool in there. Oh, no, no, yes. it's not. So not. I pushed my way to the front. I'm five foot two now, so you can imagine how small I was then. <laughs> I was on the tip of my toes and I got a peek. What I saw that day, I can still see in my head today. I remember so many details of what his face looked like, the colour of his skin and the wrinkles. I ran away and asked my dad to go home. Aww. I never spoke it. I never spoke about it with anyone until literally yesterday because I was listening to the podcast in the car with my brother. The man in the coffin was my oldest brother's 
girlfriend's dad. I never have asked how he passed because not wanting to sound selfish, but it was so traumatic for me. Even driving past cemeteries gives me the creeps. Mm. Thank you, Jess. I'm going to do the feedback that's got the squash dead moth on it now. Oh. Uh, this is from a listener who would prefer that we don't use her name. She says, hi, girls. Nice things, nice things. Love your podcast. I'm a cleaner at a school and it makes the hours fly by listening to you guys. A couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning away, listening to dead bodies when my neighbour called to let me know her partner had died at their house that afternoon from a heart attack. So when I finished work, I called over. The police were still there as they were waiting for the coroner and I saw my first dead body. He was a very large man and was still in the backyard where he had collapsed. The coroners arrived, a man and a woman, and they said the police struggled to get him onto the gurney. I was trying not to hear the grunt as they lifted him. Just thought it was ironic to be listening to a podcast about dead bodies when the call came through. Yes, that is. Keep up the good work. Anonymous. Not our fault, though. What's not our fault? We didn't jinx it. Oh, no. Okay. Um, I've got Kitty. She says, nice things, nice things. Listening to episode 63 when Tina rang and you wondered about why people don't look like themselves, Um, possibly because someone who doesn't know them does their hair and makeup. And uh, Kitty says, I think you're probably right. When I was at uni in Geelong in the late 90s, my housemate Andy was killed instantly along with the driver and her best friend in the most horrific car accident. The passenger side was quite literally wrapped around a light pole. Okay. It was the first funeral of a friend that I'd attended. One of her other friends told me at the service that she, and she's put little asterisks Mm. next to it, Mm. had done Andy's beautiful, very long and curly hair and her makeup. She was a photographer and as Andy was tall, thin and very striking, she often used her as a model for her work. Mm. And so she was very used to doing her hair and makeup. She knew how she liked it. Yeah. (gasps) Although it unnerved me at the time, 20 years later, I can see that someone who knew Andy very well would be the perfect person to do her makeup and give her parents a final memory of their beautiful daughter. Because I was only 21 and quite devastated at the time, I didn't think too much about it, but realised now that her head and face would have had to have been reconstructed by morticians first before her friend could possibly even attempt to put her makeup on as Andy's injuries were so catastrophic. All I remember from that conversation with this friend was that she kept telling me how beautiful she looked. Nice things, Kitty in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's for Tina, a.k.a. your sister. My sister. Sneaky little fella. Correct. Yeah. Well, if you have seen a dead body, we'd love to hear your story. Uh, and What's ag- that email? <laughs> Again, the phone number of the radio station I work at came into my head for some reason. Uh, it's deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.